welcome to Poetry of the Mother Load. And we, we're launching this. This is our first event of its kind. And we're hoping that it will happen every year and sometime in April. Next year, our hope is that we'll be meeting in person. But today, we get to see each other on Zoom. Um, but, oops, there's someone else to come in. I am so sorry to have to do several things at one time here. Okay. So our plan for um, this afternoon is that we would have our Calaveras Poet Laureate with us, but his wife is in the hospital and he may or may not. Oh, Lila, it's okay, Margaret had surgery and she'll be fine. Oh, good, because I just talked to her and she didn't tell me that, so thank you. Yes, more details to come, but she's okay. But Oh, thank you. Had surgery. So he may come near the end of our program, so we'll just pop him in when he gets here. Um, we'll be having uh, Manzanita Writers Press um, poets read their work. And then we have, um, which includes myself, Kevin Arnold, Monica. And then we have um, Poetry Out Loud representative here with us, Ian McMahon from Amador County. I know he tried to round up other high schoolers, but you know what? This is a very hard time of the year. And so, I, I reached out to Poetry Out Loud in Calaveras County, but I think it's tough. So, Ian, thank you for representing everyone. Of course, it's good to be here. And then um, then we have um, poets that are part of um, our local Calaveras Voices of Wisdom and others are going to read. And then we have public participants too, because I know Peter would like to read, and and there's Charles and Kathy there, uh, and so we have people coming in, and we'll we'll just get started, and I'll admit them as we go. Monica, did you want to give any remarks before we get started? I just uh, want to thank uh, people who support our local local authors and writers. Uh, it's so important, and I do um, thank you very much for all your support, and um, hope to see you all in the future with future events, because we'll be uh, putting on all kinds of things, um, lots of authors. We have about 10 new books coming out this coming year, uh, quite a bit of a load for us. We normally average about three books a year, and uh, we're excited about that. So do think of us as a small publishing uh, non-profit non press that um, might fit your needs at some point in the future. So I just wanted to put a plug in. Thanks. Okay. Hello. Hi, Clive. We have people coming in. So we're going to get started with our reading. I think rather than trying to introduce everybody because people are coming in, that we'll just go ahead with the reading. And when you're, it's your turn to read, then please you say your name and a little bit about you. Uh, we're planning on one poem each, but it'll, we could have a round two if we have enough time. So, all right. Um, I would like to start, and let me share something with you. Share my screen here. I wanna share my mailbox. Nope. Okay. I was thinking about meeting today and I was so excited about the fact that 
all of us here love poetry. I'm going to enlarge this. Can you see that? Yeah. Can I make it a little larger for you, Monica? Yes. Larger, please. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, better. I was thinking about Ars Poetica and, and how I've enjoyed lately reading poets writing about writing poetry. So I'd like to share a few with you. If you'd like to have copies of these, just email me and I'll be glad to send them to you. So, The Poem That Took the Place of a Mountain by Wallace Stevens. There it was, word for word, the poem that took the place of a mountain. He breathed his oxygen even when the book lay turned in the dust of his table. It reminded him how he had needed a place to go in his own direction. How he had recomposed the pines, shifted the rocks, and picked his way among clouds. For the outlook that would be right, where he would be complete in an unexplained completion. The exact rock where his inexactnesses would discover at last the view toward which they had edged, where he could lie and gazing down at the sea, recognize his unique and solitary home. But, um, yeah, we won't pick that apart. And I notice inexactness, inexactness as has a red line under it, which means there's, you know, it's not spelled right. Maybe it's no, not. No, it just spelled. means word doesn't know the word. That's all doesn't I mean. know the word. But he's poetic license. He has poetic license. Ocean Vong has a new book out called, uh, let me hold it up here. Time is a Mother. And he's been out and about. We've probably heard him in interviews and stuff uh, because his collection has come out. And so this is called Essay on Craft. Because the butterfly's yellow wing flickering in black mud was the word stranded by its language. Because no one else was coming and I ran out of reasons. So I gathered fists full of ash, dark as ink, hammered them into marrow, into a skull thick enough to keep the gentle curse of dreams. Yes, I aimed for mercy. They came only close as building a cage around the heart. Shutters over the eyes, yes. I gave it hands despite knowing that to stretch that clay slab into five blades of light, I would go too far. Because I too needed a space, place to hold me. So I dipped my fingers back into the fire, right open the lower face until the wound widened into a throat, until every leaf shook silver with that God awful scream, and I was done, and it was human. Wow. He's 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 a wonderful poet. That's all I can say there. And then this is an older um, Ars Poetica by Archibald McLeish. And so I'd like you to hear this one as well. A poem should be palpable and mute as a globed fruit, dumb as old medallions to the thumb. Silent as the sleeve-worn stone of casement ledges where the moss has grown. A poem should be wordless as flight spurs. A poem should be motionless in time as the moon climbs, leaving as the moon releases twig by twig the night-entangled trees. Leaving as the moon behind the winter leaves, memory by memory, the mind. A poem should be motionless in time as the moon climbs. A poem should be equal to not true. For all the history of grief, an empty doorway, and a maple leaf. For love, 
the leaning grasses and the two lights above the sea. A poem should not mean but be. So, just to inspire us for today. And I would um, give some tips out as we're going along. When someone's reading, let's all mute ourselves. And then if we have time, we can also ask uh, people to um, explain a little bit. If you have questions about someone's poem, it'd be great to put those in the chat. Also down below for reactions, um, reacting to someone's poem, um, use those because we can clap or put a heart or something like that. Okay, I'm gonna, I'd like to go backwards. Monica, I would like to start with you. Is that all right? And I'll go last. Okay. Since I've been talking. That sounds good. All right. Well, I'm, um, I'll start with just a medley of things here. I read this for Linda the other day. Uh, it's from a, a book called Yosemite Poets that published this little short uh, ditty. I had some fun with this. Variations on a skipping stone. I found a perfect skipping stone and waited for a perfect time. I found a perfect skipping stone and wind convinced me otherwise. I found a faulty skipping stone and it skipped me countless times. I found a perfect skipping stone and threw it perfectly wrong. I never found a skipping stone that yearned for water. Had a little fun with that one. Um, celebrating the Motherlode, I picked out a few newer poems. Uh, this one was published in a um, collection of Amador and Calaveras poetry. <clears throat> it's called In Store. We were to take an artist's photograph and then write a poem to it. This was a, I don't know if you can see this, this is a photo of Jan Alcalde's photo titled The Pantry. I'm shaking a little bit. <laughs> it's waving in the wind. But if you can see that, it's cows in the pasture with some acorns in the tree. This is called In Store. Everything hinges on perhaps offering food for thought about what may lie in store, giving some, gathering enough, wanting more. Somewhere between drought and glut, desire springs as barbed wire stitches a pastoral scene. The communal acorn woodpecker senses bad weather with a pecking frenzy three days before a storm. Then stuffs a familial cedar post with fall acorns for the clan and fills a granary with winter bounty. Clouds graze the sky, then crowd in with their marshmallow ways, turning gray, watching the scramble below. Cows chew on their fate in thin pasture, consider the other side behind the wire long for leaves beyond tongue while a woodpecker rests its head i 
I've been uh, writing quite a bit about spring um, and I'll share this one with you. This is called New Green. Spring bursts, purple lupins wave on the side of the road, bright lime green oak leaves burn joy into the brain. Round-shouldered hills roll out green rugs. The dove coo in the oak, not the coax of mourning, but the sound of yearning youth, calling lost loves. But earnest, throaty, urging, pushing me to creak out of a chair to the window. All right, I hear you. A succession of chastising slaps the air, as if to ask, why are you still inside your cell? hunched over a black box when it's lovely out here in the green you are wasting time the warbler chides rightly gray cloud mounds shade the sun light inside dims the bird flees and quiet rains had a little fun um with this one, very similar kind of uh, piece about spring called Leaving. New green fingers so soon when old brown appendages still cling to their twigs in spring. The oak confused with comings and goings. That's what it is. The sound of the wind rustling leaves and a word for it. Sithurism. Mixing a quiet sigh, PSI, unit of pressure, pound per square inch, and thur, T-H-U-R, a perfumed exhalation of incense rising to heaven. The parts sound nice alone. Pressured scent of ceremony meets forceful push into ether, but together the sounds jar. In collective cacophony, Sithurism, a tour gone wrong. Not a pretty word for the hushing sound of the oak whispering goodbye to its parts. And um, I'm going to do a funny one. Um, Linda, I don't know how much time you want to give me here. I'll just do one more, I think, and I can read more uh, later, I guess. This was, a, a, you all remember your high school um, math classes, perhaps. I had one where um, we used to wonder when the teacher would, you know, bend down to pick up his pencil and all the girls would kind of uh, push their, their dresses down over their knees, you know, that, that was one memory. But I had countless memories of math, um, being one of the few girls in the class. This is called Geometry Microcosm. Geometry has its angles, sitting squarely in Mr. Flynn's classroom in a corner. A Boston tweed jacket arm bends at a 90-degree pitch. Leather elbow pad poised for magic. Houston, we've got a problem, he croaks. Flynn erases the old theorem with his right elbow just as he chalks in the new formula with his right hand in one magical Pythagorean movement. Pay attention, kid. Fled, Flynn blasts a whirling chalk projectile like a flick cigarette and beans a student on the nose. 
Look alive, Flynn cracks, flashes a straight-lying grin. A barrage of chalk nubs radiate out like missiles launched in succession. I'm feeling a little negative. Flynn paces near someone in the front row, and she erases so hard that holes form in her grid and errors scatter crumbs on the desk. I like my pencil needle sharp and lengthening Euclidean shadow days, enough to stab someone if they get too mean, which never happens, so I never do. I love big numbers, Flynn croons, turning the compass. I fix the protractor torso on one point or another, wheel the leg around, and spin imprecise, concentric notions. So I think I'll stop there. Um, Thank you, Monica. It feels really weird. But I did, I did. Yes. Applaud you, but we are. Uh. And, uh, oops. <laughs> I'll, I'll save my really um, growing old pain poem for the last. <laughs> it called Ow. That's <laughs> later. I don't understand that. And a little welcome, teaser. Yeah, welcome. Um, Conrad Levisor has just come in, and uh, we'll. Um, oh, good. Well, I'll have Kevin go next, and then uh, I'll have Conrad go, and then I'll go after that. And I want to tell you that close to three o'clock, or for before, we'll take a five-minute break. Of course, you can take a break whenever you want, uh, but we'll take a five-minute break because it's, it's a while to to sit at the computer. We've been doing it a lot. So we'll have a musical interlude um, after these first readings. So uh, let me introduce uh, Conrad Levisor, Calaveras County's Poet Laureate. And I explained, Conrad, that you had kind of an emergency the other day and his wife, Margaret, fell and fractured her hip and had to have surgery. And so he's been racing around um, like a chicken, no? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Trying to get everything taken care of. So, Conrad, um, now that you're able to join us, um, I just wanted to say that Conrad's the first Poet Laureate for Calaveras County, and we appreciate the fact that he stepped up. And then as soon as he stepped up, uh, COVID happened, and it made it very hard to do that job. Um, but I mentioned to him the other day that when his term is up, which is this end of spring, um, he will be emeritus and he will, it will not be over. He'll still be called upon <laughs> and, and uh, to be at events and to share his poetry. Uh, Manzanita Writers Press is uh, going to be publishing his collection sometime in the fall. So Conrad, please uh, share some of your poems with us. Okay, I'm gonna put the timer on, which of course, like things happen not the way you expect them to. I was going to be really organized, a time every piece and have it all within 15 minutes. And then, as Linda said, 8 o'clock Thursday morning, my wife doing the very exercises that would help her not to fall at the very last thing of it, lost her balance, fell, fractured her hip, and it has been a roller coaster uh, since then. So I literally raced over from the Sonora Hospital. I didn't know I'd even be able to get out of there, but things suddenly leveled out at the last minute. And so I just came in the door 
threw some things together, kind of propped up some books on the on the bed, and thank goodness I managed to get in and, and make the connection. And so, of course, I, I just grabbed my poetry books. I'm going to, uh, uh, I, and being, I thought would be totally organized. Uh, of course, I, I'm not quite as organized as I would like, like it to be, but uh, I had jotted, quickly jotted down some things and let me start out. Uh, so my poetry basically has emerged from the ground up with, with, with whatever situation that I've been in. I have published seven books of poetry, and it's a cross-section between, I was an international travel guide, uh, taking groups all over the world. So uh, coming from that, that uh, very much interested in all the wildlife in, uh, in, in Africa, uh, to the other extreme, being a single parent for several years before I met my Margaret, of, uh, we've been together over 40 years, and I equated that being as being dropped naked in the jungle with no supplies or provision, literally entering no man's land, and a book of poetry came out of that uh, most challenging experience. All the other adventure stuff was but a preparation for me to be able to deal with that particular uh, challenge living in the Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco at that particular time. We wound up moving up to the mountains, so a lot of things- I can't figure out. Out, out of that, uh, it, you I know, and, figure it out. I. <laughs> so uh, somebody's trying to get on. I know. So I'm going to just jump right in. I was affected by everything from <laughs> the most sophisticated uh, cultures to tribal culture. So I just grabbed the book randomly here, and I and I'll start off with a, a thing I wrote uh, in the tribal. In the tribal, you in what we would call primitive, mask, dance, myth the power of nature passed on and understood from person to person for centuries, go back only to understand the essence of the power of the mother of the womb out of which we came, return to 20th century, create new mass dances, myths, tribes with guidance, with help from what we found, knowing it's not ours, it's not it's not to be held onto, knowing we're free only when we pass it on. So I was deeply affected by tribal cultures and whatever I thought the word, when I heard the word primitive, which usually meant backward, not developed, of course, to me was the exact opposite. For those tribal cultures that were basically not really their uh, roots in uh, wisdom, uh, literature and, and history, taken away by either levels of imperialism, colonialism, which is just a part of the big history. Uh, they were highly sophisticated leaders that I would come in contact with were anything, but, but, but uh, they, they carried a lot of wisdom with them. And also, so that was an element that affected me very deeply in, in my travels. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> sorry, the- uh, Read your poem, Conrad. So the, uh, the, another one just kind of whipping back to another thing. When my sons were growing up, we were in the mountains. Of course, it was an incredible place to be, you know, growing up in for them. I don't know. And, uh, and they were both really outstanding athletes. But at one point in their life, probably early high school, uh, they said they, they didn't really like poetry. So I had written back then this it was called bawling poetry. And I said, you know, my sons say they don't like poetry. They don't yet realize that they are two living poems. 
Iran down at the shed shooting baskets, the summer dust whirling around him like desert dervish clouds, the winter mud slick and slippery like a seal as he dribbles, fakes, drives, and shoots with either hand, dancing with the orange rim, sending the starry ball perfectly arced, time and again spinning through the air, dropping easily into the center of the net. So wish. Ian, in the corral, on the grassy ground, on the frozen ground, on the ground that buckles up into waves of mud, darting, dashing, skating, cutting fast, spinning around as the football spirals towards him, stretching his body-mind edge beyond known limits, orbiting, reaching out arms and legs without concern for a safe landing as he snatches the plump leather flying pig from nowhere, bringing it back with him from the heavens to touch down. And then, <laughs> let me grab my, jump right into the next one. What, oh, it fell on the floor. So the next one, uh, uh, the uh, I had read again coming out of my experiences in in Africa. I really took roots all over Africa, and the uh, very much deeply affected. Had a lot of close encounters with the animals here, so I'll just jump in it. This was called uh, Kachinas. And of course, we know with, in terms of the, uh, the environment and the, the challenges we're facing with that, with species disappearing more and more rapidly. So this was, came out of uh, so wildlife safaris I had led in Kenya, Tanzania, and East Africa. So Kachinas, um, Serengeti plains sparkle in the dew dripping rhinoceros horn. I should warn, Kachinas tickle giraffes' bellies. You can see it in their eyes, the way their lashes flash back Nikon pictures to Bushman cave paintings unphotograph unphotographically hidden in some lost Kalahari cave. There is something in this wild open space, the solitary hut, the solitary woman with child walking out of nowhere, the solitary tribesman sitting under acacia tree, leaning on spear with nothing but bare earth for miles, contentedly, subtly smiling ivory tusk teeth. There is something in this East African explosively alive extinct crater, roaringly, roaringly silent rift wall, dry, dusty, barren gorge where woe man was born that overflows the mind with ancient animal images struggling against the holocaust of eternal extinction. A baboon bites my ass. I eat a leopard's tail and get its claws stuck in my digestive tract. A horny lion remembers himself and sits regally like a king. Elephants charge my table of contents. 
I charge a delirious dick dick and try to hold, try to grab a warthog on its high-held holy tail. Our skins can no longer be for sale. We must buy the post office and send, and send animals through the mail. I am such a beast. I would, I would love to feast upon myself, my crazy kicking wildebeest nature, my quick burst hairy cheetah legs my antelope, soft antelope belly, deliciously, ecstatically torn apart by sharp cat's teeth. I am as mad as a hyena, hysterically laughing bloodthirsty thunder in the in bloodthirsty hunger in the silky black night, as awkwardly delicate as a flamingo doing its soft pink toe dance by water's edge. Cape buffalo, beefy back muscle, hackle my crested cranium. All the fine feathery rainbow exotic birds drop on me inspirationally enlightening heavily turds. Should we murder the animal in ourselves or might it be better to love it and hang ourselves as trophies before we mount each other and ride off into the sunset? Oh, wow, Conrad. Um you know, I've heard that before, and I, I still think you've done some amazing metaphorical jumps there. <laughs> Powerful. And I'm going to um, close you there. Okay. And thank you very much for your reading. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just happy to be able to have made it to be you here. With all look forward yeah. to hearing what else mm -hmm. has to put out there. Okay. Um, Kevin Arnold, where are you, Kevin? You'll have to unmute yourself, Kevin. Oh, there we go. Hi, uh, I'm Kevin Arnold, and I'm while I'm still from the Bay Area, I my, my kind of home away from home has been up in Calaveras for a very long time. Uh, Kathy, uh, Isaac, Luke, and and uh, and her husband Charles are here. They they helped run the poetry center in San Jose. Uh, like 20 years ago, I was supposedly the president of it, but it was really Kathy who ran it, I think. And uh, and then Monica and Linda, I really appreciate what you've done here this morning, getting this all going. This is great, or this afternoon. I, um, I also I'm, I'm a I'm a close friend of uh, Antoinette Mays, and we we helped start the uh, the. Uh, uh, <laughs> Gold Rush writers together uh, many years ago, and we've got that going again. So I'm feeling good about that. So I feel I get up to Calaveras quite a bit. Um, I've got six poems this morning, and they're all all about Alzheimer's, one way or another. Uh, I've just recently lost my wife to Alzheimer's within the last two or three weeks, and um, I wanted to read these poems. Um, the first two poems. Uh, I wrote, and I've, you know, I'm, I'm also a novelist, so I find that I, the easiest way for me to write about myself is to not write about myself. So the first two poems, I kind of made another character who had this problems with Alzheimer's. The first one is how she left him. And instead of being me, it's a, it's a, plain, a plain air artist who, uh, whose wife has an Alzheimer's. He, loved so, he so loved the natural world that he joined others who had come to art late in life 
to patiently paint the nature al fresco. When his wife started having memory problems, he tried to take it in stride. She would be fine while he painted. But things progressed, and he spent more time on doctor's visits and panic attacks, pills and paperwork, every aspect of her life. For the last years of her life, the plein air artist stayed within, inside with her. When he rejoined his friends in the open air, he tried to explain how he'd lived for the few moments she seemed her old self and how she left him before she left him. And the other, uh, the second poem that isn't quite, I'm not writing about myself yet and my situation uh, goes way back to the start of Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's was, was first written up by, uh, by, by a Lois Alzheimer. And he found uh, a, a, a woman named Augusta Dieter and, and her husband, Carl. And uh, this tells their story for Augusta and Carl Dieter. We remember little of Augusta Dieter, who in her late 40s would drag sheets across her house and scream for hours in the middle of the night. Nor do we share memories of her care partner, her husband, Carl, a railway worker who gave, gave up and sent her in 1901 to the Castle of Insanity in Frankfurt, Germany. The one remember is the doctor she met there who asked, where are you right now? And recorded her reply, here and everywhere, here and now, you must not think badly of me. On her death, he examined her brain. Using a new chemical, he discovered twisted fibers, nerve tangles. We remember a Lois Alzheimer. So um, then the last four poems are really more about my own personal experience with, uh, with my wife, whom I married in middle life. She was a wonderful horsewoman, um, one of the better horsewomen in Northern California. And we had a lot of fun riding horses and, and riding to hounds and, and having really a good time. Uh, the first one's called the move to memory care. Carol had said many times, if she got Alzheimer's when it's time, put her out on a farm like her parents who both died of the disease. The people from the facility and I had set everything up. As agreed, I told Carol she was going to lunch. With my son, Scotty, I drove an hour from the Bay Area. On the way down, Carol asked him seven times how he was doing. In the back seat with her, Scotty, bless him, found new answers every time. Set up in the middle of an apple orchard, the facility was bucolic. We'd set up her room with a new bed and TV and family and horse pictures on the walls. They'd even put her name on the door, which confused her. She turned to me. I told her it would be okay. Attendants shooed my son and me away and guided Carol to lunch. The second one uh, comes from uh, the, the period when I was, she was still quite, quite mobile and I was taking her out on trips all the time in the car. The milkshake guy, familiar with my wife's frailness, he almost lifts her from the car, seats us in his busy luncheonette and asks if we want the usual milkshakes. 
often chocolate, always with a cherry. But this day I offer alternatives. When she hears strawberries, she nods and smiles. He serves us and all too soon helps her out of her chair. With the milkshake guy on one side and me on the other, she bravely hobbles back to the car. I probably shouldn't call him the milkshake guy. He's more than that. He's big, six foot three, 200 pounds, with a halting, smiling kindness to him. How can I thank him for the reprieve he's granted us? A few minutes from the care home down the street, a few last moments on a date. Then um, this one's called Psalm 23, which ended up to be, uh, toward the end, uh, she lost most of her language capability. She really couldn't finish the sentence. And so our conversations were kind of one way, and it ended up that reading her, the 23rd Psalm was a, just a, a wonderful kind of balm and, and a kind of part of our love language. And so I wrote a poem about that. Psalm 23. When it's close to time to leave, I offer to read it again. I've just fed my wife a chocolate. She's surprisingly enthusiastic. She perks up at, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. She loves to hear about lying down in green pastures and being led beside still waters. The familiarity of her of having her soul restored and being led in the paths of righteousness brings a smile to her thin lips. She looks resigned during the trying trip through the valley of the shadow of death, where she feels fears no evil as the rod and staff comfort her. She is in another world. I modify where a table is prepared for her. I skip the part about enemies because I can't imagine her. I can't imagine her having any. She seems to love that a table is prepared for her and that her cup runneth over. As I finish telling her that goodness and mercy shall follow her all of the days of her life, she seems completely relaxed. I motion to the aide that it's time to roll her into the dining room. The woman says my wife gets fuzzy after lunch, that I should feed her a few less chocolates, and I quickly concur. As the aide rolls her into the residence only dining room, she is smiling as I leave. With help from King David and King James, I've left her refreshed. And the last poem um, is, is called Elegy for Carol, and I've just written it within the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, I actually read it mainly in preparation for her memorial, which we had about uh, 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 two weeks ago. So it's Elegy for Carol. A two and a half inch acorn can become a hundred foot oak. Imagine a tree that can live 300 years. Now that's confidence. Infant birds are almost as helpless as humans and as human babies until they can fly. When fledglings gain that competence, their mother helps them out of the nest. Peoples with Alzheimer's lose competency. Their brains become unreliable. One telltale sign is when she repeats a tale, when, when, when someone repeats a tale they've just been told, they've just told, I'm sorry. I'm going to reread that stanza. People with Alzheimer's lose competency. Their brains become unreliable. One telltale sign is when someone repeats a tale they've just told. The brains of people who have Alzheimer's 
are often likened to Swiss cheese. Intermittent areas of knowledge seem to just disappear. Alzheimer's is often referred to as tragic, like when a life-saving surgeon loses competence to bring her fork to her mouth. But there's a more positive side of the disease I've learned from helping my remarkable wife who dealt so gracefully with dementia. Six years ago, in her home of 40 years, she couldn't find her own bedroom. She told me if it ever happened, just put me out on a farm. We found Dayuna Moore on an apple farm a little more than an hour away over the hill in Corlitos with hospice. They took care of her beautifully. She lost all her competencies from horse trials to hostessing. God challenged her to continue as she had, gracefully, always thinking of others first. When hospice called me to say her time had come, I asked them if her personality had changed. They said no. She'd thank the nurses three times. So thank you very much for this time. And thanks again to Linda and Monica for putting this on. Thank you, Kevin. I, you know, I've been reading through your book and I also, I could see by looking at people's faces, this is, you know, one of the things we can do with poetry is, is, is care about hard things and work through hard things. Um, that's what poetry allows us to do. So thank you for sharing that, that hard part of your, your journey with Carol. I feel like I know her a little bit now. Great, thank you. Okay, that kind of get, made me almost weepy, sorry. Um, I'm gonna, oops, Lila's crying. I'm going to uh, go ahead and my share, no, I, no I wanna, what I wanna do is I want Ian to share next and then I'll share. I'm going to go out of order here. Um, Ian McMahon is the Poetry Out Loud winner from Amador County. And Ian, here you are in the paper again. Yep, that's, that's me in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, the paper came yesterday, and, and there he is again. Stellar performances, bravo. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, about Poetry Out Loud or about the paper? <laughs> the paper, and then we'll go to Poetry oh, Out Loud. Uh, so we recently just had our annual, uh, it's actually the 50th, uh, Mother Lode Drama Festival at Amador High School. And so I don't know how many of you might know uh, the venerable, the legendary Giles Turner, but he's the one who always helps us put everything on. And, uh, and it was a really great performance, uh, a really great festival, especially after uh, having two years of nothing in person. Um, just you know especially going to school uh it's just it's been odd but I'm, I'm glad we got to be back uh this year we got to have a couple schools come um we had schools from galt uh from trinity county up in northern california um and a couple more i'm forgetting but not as many as we'd usually have but it was good to have them there and uh yeah no i i uh i did very well i didn't expect to get as far as i did but uh i love acting i love i love poetry that's why i'm here um, I like performing, so uh, it, it was it was great. Yeah, um, Ian, I'm not surprised at all that you did as well as you did. Uh, you. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I want to mention before we go on to poetry out loud is that poetry out loud was um, started by the poet Dana Goya and the Poetry Foundation, along with the uh, National Endowment for the Arts and the Calaveras um, Arts Council. So it's been going on for quite a while and it's 
fabulous. I've been able to be a judge for Poetry Out Loud, and you guys uh, have inspired me. I've been going around reciting poems in Amador County to the, at the elementary schools, and that's because of people like you, Ian. So um, let me um, just tell people a little bit about Poetry Out Loud, and then he's going to share one of his uh, winning poems that he recited. Sure. So uh, I first uh, learned about Poetry Out Loud my sophomore year. Um, and sorry, am I good? Okay. <laughs> my sophomore year. And uh, Mr. Turner helped us all in, the, in our drama class pick poems out. Um, and anybody, anybody in the high school can do it. It doesn't have to be. Uh, there's also, I think, competitions for younger kids too. But uh, it, it's just something I've always looked forward to every year. So they have a whole anthology online that you get to choose uh, two selections from. Um, and they've got just so many great poets. And so for me, it's more than just, it's really interesting getting to just learn so much about so many, like such a diverse group of poets. Um, you know, I've read poetry by people I never even thought I would or about perspectives I never thought I would. Um, and besides even diving into it, just getting to go out and perform it and recite it, it, it really makes, because a lot of kids my age, um, uh, those, even those who may be in the arts, uh, but I mean, mostly those who aren't, think of poetry as just being kind of a boring study, like they might think of, um, you know, like an old Shakespeare sonnet or uh, something in English class they don't feel like reading. But when you get to go out and perform it for people and with other kids your age, it's, it's what poetry is. It's, it's a performance. It's, it's a living uh, piece of art. It's not just words on a page. And so it, it's great to do that. But uh, without further ado, I, I would like to recite one of the poems um, that I, <clears throat> that I uh, recited this year. Um, and so here we go. I hope everybody can hear me well enough. <clears throat> this is To Luck by W.S. Merwin. In the cards and at the bend in the road, we never saw you. In the womb and in the crossfire, in the numbers. Whatever you had your hand in, which was everything, we were told never to put our faith in you, to bow to you humbly, after all, because in the end, there was nothing else we could do but not to believe in you. Still, we might coax you with pebbles kept warm in the hand, or coins or the relics of vanished animals, observances, rituals, not binding upon you who make no promises. We might do such things only not to neglect you and risk your disfavor. Oh, you who are never the same, who are secret as the day when it comes. You whom we explain as often as we can without understanding. And so I, I, I like that selection a lot. That was one of my favorites along with, uh, yeah, so that was, that's fun. But that's what I did. I can talk more uh, about stuff if you want me to. I don't want to take up a bunch of time. I know we're approaching our break period here. Uh, well, Ian, uh, tell me, I, I just have uh, been so inspired by, by you and your work. And of course, you have this drama background, which adds to the performance of a poem for sure. Um, where do you see yourself going with poetry in the future? 
me personally, I, I like to I like to write poems as well as um, recite them. Uh, and for me, as I go to college, I'm a senior uh, at Amador High School uh, in Sutter Creek. As I go to uh, college this come this uh, you know fall, I want to continue to involve myself in poetry and the arts, especially since uh, so I'm going to I'm not going to study performing arts, although I really like to. But I'm lucky that the college I'm going to has a lot of space for students that aren't necessarily majoring in a performing art to be a part of the arts scene and their programs. And so joining things like clubs, I definitely want to find more people to share and write poetry with. It would be really cool, uh, eventually, maybe. Um, and I, I know we have some published authors here with us to publish my own uh, book of poetry, but you got to write a lot of poems and I'm not there yet, but we'll see. But it is, it is a lot of fun. You know what, Ian? You set that goal for yourself, and you will—you'll meet it one day, without question. I think we could all agree with that. And so, um, thank you for sharing, and um, we'll keep in touch. I want to know what's happening with you. I, I will. I'll have to keep you updated. I do have an original poem if we have time. Oh, go ahead right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Okay. So quick little introduction. I wrote this poem as I was, I, I drove down to Los Angeles uh, earlier this year to see one of the schools that I applied to, to know if uh, maybe, well, it was to see relatives, but that's also something I did. Um, and I wrote this poem as uh, we were driving back from LA. So here it goes. It's called Hills. Wide, girthy masses, mounds. Guide me home again, far away from you. I've overstayed my welcome, it seems. Without reason, you dip and dirge down, diving. If you weren't covered in shrubs, I'd think you a movie set. I don't know why so many of this nation's best must rest in the city of angels, but they love the hills. I asked God to take me where I needed to be, to test me. I have to prove myself. When do I stop traipsing the land? My family lives here, my blood, my unsolicited connection to such a place. They left for greener grass and cheaper penance. I don't blame those that go or those that stay but I hope those that die are given privilege in the city of angels. There are those that fly and those that flock and some dragged behind, keel-hauled. I think Cabrillo might approve. There is a cosmic irony in the city called after seraphs in the name of suffering, sweat, sweet release of conversion or concession of sin. And God welcomed the industry, the marketable debauchery, boarding houses and board houses of moviegoers, the quick silver screen. God welcomed the vacuum salesman and the hamburger stand, the subdivision and the subdivision of people. We live on the hill, you know. You live in the valley. We, Moses, keep the commandments where you'll never find them. 
we angels, you sinners. Thank you. That, that oh, was okay. Well, everybody, I think um, we should, um, what was I thinking? Um, is there hope for poetry in the future with people like Ian? Yes. Thank you so much, Ian. Yeah. We're going to take our break now. I'll come back after the break, and then we're going to start um, our public readings. So um, those of you, um, we're going to take five minutes. I'm going to put a song that's um, I heard recently, I used in my radio program about um, poets. And when we come back, then those of you who've signed up and are here to do readings, uh, we look forward to hearing your poems and sharing your work with us. So uh, thank you so far. Oh, Monica, you said read mine. No, I'm gonna read after the break. We need to get up and move around. <laughs> and Monica also posted that um, Dana Goya will be uh, with us next April for Poetry Month. And he was recently the Poet Laureate of California. So we look forward to that. So I'm gonna put on the music and get up and move around, get something to eat or, or something like that. <laughs>
I'm wondering if you heard the music. Did anyone hear that music? A little you bit. just heard some of it. Okay. Well, this was my first exploration with this. <laughs> and so um, I believe I found out I was muted. So therefore, you didn't hear it, and I was enjoying it thoroughly. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> We, we heard a minute or two. Oh, heck. Oh, and it's such a wonderful... I put it in the chat. It's Anderson Peterson, and the song is All the Poets I Have Known. From his album. Aww, thank After, you. After all these years. And perhaps if there's time at the end, I'll close out the program so you can hear it, because it's a lovely song. All right. Aww, that sounds so nice. Thank you. <laughs> well, now I know. Now I know something new. Every day there's something more to figure out. As people are coming back, I see people are coming back in. Um, what we'll do next is I'll share from my, my book that's come out, Raven Braves the Wind. And after that, we'll start sharing. Um, thank you. <laughs> and then we'll hear from each of you. So um, I look forward to that. So um, Kevin already showed my book. There we go. And then I'll say that um, Manzanita Writers Press um, authors will be at the Calaveras County Fair all four days. We'll have a table there. Authors will be there and there'll be an activity, a poetry activity for um, children. So um, if you can come to the fair at any time, we'll be there from 10 to 10. When I heard the time frame, I was like, oh gosh, 10 to 10. I hope I have, I think I'll bring a cot. <laughs> to take a nap. Anyway, okay, Raven Braves the Wind. Um, haiku um, has a lot to do with nature, but also, um, so that's how I arranged my book. I was quizzing Gary on my interview the other day saying, how did you arrange your collection? And um, it took a while for him to describe it because it was a very, you know, interesting process. Mine is very simple. It's by the seasons. So I'm going to read... Um, some haiku from April. Rain measured in inches, then feet as rivers cascade, full of spring. Trees whisper among themselves. Can't hear you very well, Linda. You can't? Mm -mm. You suddenly got dim. Well, let me try something. Is it better now? Yes. Shall I start over? Yes. Okay. Yes. I wonder what happened there. Rain measured in inches, then feet as rivers cascade full of spring. Trees whisper among themselves, root to root, about spring greens. A red tail hovers, then drops, tail feathers fanned, straight to the ground. 
The empty pasture where you stood in the morning sun is full of shadows. Wild violas pinch their purple-yellow faces at the end of day. Stellar's jays scream like red-tailed hawks, but I can tell the difference. To understand true red, one need only look at my tulips. Hands chuck and squawk about who is first on the nest. So many eggs. The earth, the earth, the entire innocence of the world. Little mole lies on the garden path while the cat hides in bamboo. Weather turns and still wisteria cascade lavender. Harry Woodpecker taps, searches, then drums a fine rhythm, just to say. Dogwood blossoms open their palm petals as if to pray. I wish to be a beetle deep in the yellow glory of dandelions. I saw the white squirrel and assign it some magical powers. A raven calls cranky about blackbirds on its tail. Peony blossoms, simple dark pink with golden anthers, except light. Two hairs, male and female, flocks like kangaroos. She's not interested. Each plant stretches its roots, wakes from winter, hungry for longer sunlight. Red tail turns, wheels on the wind, snatches a blackbird from thin air. Thank you. And that was my little chime. So um, when I've been reading them, when I have to, this is the first public reading I've done of these. So thank you for being my first listeners. But I recall uh, David, the poet David White, reading at a webinar, reading one of his poems. And I had the book in my hand, Still Possible, which is his latest publication. And the last stanza wasn't the same. And he said, for those of you who are, uh, have the book in your hand, it's different because this morning, I changed the last stanza. <laughs> so I'm looking at my book now with these poems and I kind of want to change them too because even since this happened, I'm, it's been evolving as we all do all the time with our poetry. It just keeps But each one of those haiku has um, a backstory with it. So I'm, I'm hearing some. Uh, anyway, um, a backstory. So when I read it, I'm thinking, oh, yes, the hens clucking at each other because they won't go in different spots. They want to all go in the same nest. So they stand in a little line waiting with their legs crossed, I guess, to have their turn. They just won't lay an egg except in the same nest as everybody else. So each of these haiku is like a diary for me. Of, of things in my life and my observations about nature and the world. The third, the other section of my book has Senryu, which are a type of haiku that deals with thoughts and feelings. And then the last section 
is a collection, I think, of over 40 haiku that I wrote in an hour and a half. And they're all questions. I call them questionable haiku. <laughs> so um, thank you for listening. And now we're going to open it up to, let's see, we have people who would like to read. And I, I thought, I think we lost a couple people. Well, they may pop back in. But um, Annie is, belongs to our um, Voices of Wisdom group. And she's really, I think she thinks of herself more as a poet than anything else. And so Annie, would you share next, please? Um, sure. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Annie. I started writing poetry kind of as a pandemic activity. So I'm still very new to it. I've enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed um, the Voices of Wisdom group that has helped me move along. And I have a couple of poems, but if we're just going to read one, I think I'm going to pick this one. It is maybe a little thematically related to Kevin's, which were just fabulous, but it's also about memory. So it's called Dancing All Night. A bear padded into my dream last night. I stood at the window and watched him on the hill below. He moved slowly, snuffling, nosing around under pines and cedars. The night before, it was a drunken priest visiting in a house across the street. Before that, a celebrity chef sat at my table, played his guitar and sang. I made soup and the moon waltzed across the charcoal sky. Ambient noises of the nursing home leak through my phone. Muffled voices, clattering dishes, someone's blaring TV. Have I told you about the trips we take? Asks my aunt. Thus begins the same conversation we have every day. We go on a little train, she says, to an island. It's not in the ocean. It's more like a lake. Asleep, awake, awake, asleep. Why are my stories called dreams and hers are called dementia? Mine are vague, fuzzy. Hers are as crystalline as her lake, meticulously detailed, nuanced. We went into the water, she continues, but only up to our knees. There's a small hotel and so many restaurants. We danced all night. It's like a fairyland. Many would say she's not all there. And yet, and yet, she is the one I could turn to, the one who would have the precise, correct, perfect answer fleshed out with all the particulars when I ask, what was that chef doing in my kitchen? Thank you, Annie. Thank you. And though she says she's just been writing poetry since the pandemic, I think she's doing very well. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, Susan. Susan Barrich is also a member of Voices of Wisdom, poet, singer, and she sits on the board for Manzanita Writers Press. Yeah, there you go. That's my introduction. Um, I started writing poetry about 16 years ago. Um, my uh, son was killed in a car crash, my 25-year-old son, and my therapist gave me a David White CD 
And um, I've discovered that poetry is a language that allows us to express things we cannot say any other way. So um, that's when I started writing poetry. Um, shoot. Mm. I would, you know what, I'm going to read something that I did not write because it's so beautiful. A friend of mine wrote it and sent it the other day. And uh, he lives up in uh, Casadero, which is where I have a cabin uh, at the Russian River. And um, he lives out on a ranch. And he wrote this the other night. His name is Jack Berger. A quiet evening in the front of the lodge, the evergreen ridge beyond fading into darkness. Through the bay trees, a soft gray gold sky opens accepting the darkness. I am spinning away from it all, backwards into an inescapable rotation. Stars begin to sparkle in the infinite darkness, so far away and yet so intimate. They dress me in their countenance, their very existence. I celebrate within them a unity. They are sleeping in my heart, no further away than our singular heartbeat. Halfway around the world from where I sit, there is no sunset. We are huddled in basements halfway around the world. Our homes and everything we had were blown to bits today. Halfway around the world, there is no sunset. We are trapped in rubble. Our children are hungry and crying. Our children are afraid. The exploding bombs shake the floors they sit on. I am not there, but I am there, and it hurts. That's from Jack. Yeah, I thought it was so beautiful. I don't know. Thank you, Susan. Yeah. And I think um, poets are the people who take daily events we're living history right now and make them real, make them, um, poets aren't afraid to step out and, and say what it, what it is. Well, it's, it's the emotion. They go to the emotion. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, that's what it's about. That's what God's about. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's see. I am looking for BJ. Where are you? I'm right here. Oh, great. And I want to say um, that BJ's name is um, Bill Collins. And so um, when I first met him, I thought, well, that's going to be hard. I'm going to want to call him uh, Billy Collins. But, uh, he is actually um, part of our Voices of Wisdom over time. and. Um, BJ, do you have a poem to share with us today? I do, Linda. Um, and it's uh, actually uh, about the tragic situations going on in Ukraine right now uh, that just, uh, I feel very badly for the people there and I wanted to, uh, to write something about their about what they're enduring over there. So uh, here it is. 
I thought I saw an angel standing in the ruins of a bombed out and burning schoolhouse in Mariupol, Ukraine. There was a woman being removed by stretcher from a bombed maternity hospital who had lost the life of her child and the will or desire to continue her own. Indescribable scenes of the cruel and brutal bombing of civilian housing. All bodies dignified with burial rites in local gardens. I thought I heard an angel sing in the times they are a changing, but that was 1963 when missiles were removed from Cuba by Russia and hope was shining out of every teenage bedroom. So now let us give thanks for Dylan and Emily Lynch, the times they are a changing, the times they are a changing. I'm gonna unmute myself. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, BJ. That was perfect to follow. Literally. Oopsie. I'm going to try to. As people have popped in, I'm, I'm going to. We haven't met you yet, but I'm going to mute you so that um, poets are reading in order. So that would be great. Uh, okay. Po um, when I was working in um, Amador County this last week at their elementary schools doing a poetry workshop, I was leaving. And the teacher said, I had no idea they could write feelings like this. I had no idea. And I said, poetry is the only form of writing that allows even five-year-olds to express something deep inside of them. It's, there's nothing like it. Anyway, okay. Um, let's see. I'm looking at the board here, and I'm trying to kind of go in order of where we were. I think uh, where I'll go next is the Modesto Poets. And so the, the mic is open and we're gonna go ahead. So the, I call them the Modesto Poets. They're part of a, a long, decades long poetry group called the Licensed Schools. And because there's such an active um, poetry community in Modesto, it would it seem great to um, invite them and have them here. So, um, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna, are you ready, uh, Karen and Tina? They're down there. Yes, we're ready. Uh, okay. and, I'll, and I'll start and I, I my poem is a, an Ars Poetica poem, a poem about poetry. Tell us um, what you do with poetry introductions. Um, I, I don't, I, Tina's telling me to introduce myself. Well, <laughs> so, you I'm Karen Baker. Uh, that's me. Anyway, I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> this poem spoke to me before it reached your eyes, your ears. Spoke to me in language I recognized and in which I was fluent. It could only be broadcast. I could not translate. This poem flows now in your perception, in rivers, in eddies, in ways that I cannot know. This poem is a concrete of metaphor, of simile. 
it stays as it, as it is written until it is read. I lay it aside, you lay it aside, same words laid aside. It surfaces in a thin volume in the dollar bin in Kensington, in the estate of a friend, in an unexpected reading at the Barking Dog Grill. It surfaces as itself, as it has always been a message in a vessel from the ocean of all things, one amongst millions, yet firmly itself. Thank you, Karen. And um, Karen is also deeply involved with the um, Modesto Stanislaus Poetry Center. And she's responsible for bringing in a lot of um, poets to our community. So thank you, Karen. Thank you. And here's Tina. Here's Tina, also a licensed fool. Also a licensed fool, and we're both the uh, original, um, part of the original Meter Maids group. Um, we've just put out a 30-year 30, 30 anthology for the Meter Maids, and uh, I um, edited um, and established uh, a gathering of voices for Stanislaus Connections several, many years ago, uh, starting with George Rogers, who was a fool, a uh, licensed fool, uh, and we were able to get it printed, and he was able to get and read it the day before he passed. So that I thought that was just a wonderful thing that we were able to do. And, uh, the, and the quick um, story about how I started writing poetry is, I had a fourth grade teacher who was way ahead of her time, belongs in this generation. Mm. And, and she um, asked us to write poems and then she decided that for some reason to send me next door to the other fourth grade class to read my poem. And so from then on, I kind of Worked at poetry, but I've I've only been able to call myself a poet probably within the last five or ten years. <laughs> so, this is what I have today um, to speak to the trees. When you speak to the trees, you utter divine silence. There is neither ritual nor rote spirituality when you speak to the trees. When you speak to the trees, a fairy goddess or animated gnome may be standing by to lead you with a magic wand. When you speak to the trees, you engage in shared intention to prune the wilted and broken from healthy outstretched boughs. When you speak to the trees, there is no best by expiration. You are doing free form spring cleaning when you speak to the trees. For when you speak to the trees, you take cues from your heart. You weave a golden thread of connection when you speak to the trees. Thank you, Tina. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sheila Landry is also a licensed fool. And would you like to read a poem, Sheila? Just got to find my mute button. 
Okay. Um, I used to write just funny poems, and it seems like in the last, uh, oh, I don't know, two years, I've been writing more serious things. But um, this is one I'd like to share with you. At the dawn of time, anything which moves or grows is animated by mysterious laws of nature, known by some as God, almighty source of all creation. Our intention to know this thing called God results in a never-ending search for truth and the prolonged pursuit of knowledge. Earthbound human creatures contain sparks from that fire of flickering universal wisdom, which has set all life in motion, ignition at the dawn of time. This thing called God, whose powers motivate the stars and flashes raging rivers to awaiting seas, leaves us in awe and wonder. It is the same in you and me. For those who don't see God as the glorious infinity, who doesn't know, but is, all knowledge. Imagine this. God begins where your imagination can no longer thrive. Oh, that's called At the Dawn of Time. Thank you. I was busy unmuting. Um, I was busy unmuting uh, uh, people. Did you see the dancing figures? No. Okay, good. Um, but there were the, these two boys who came in. Yeah, you just got bombed, Linda. I did get bombed. And I so think that's I just, what that was. Yeah. I put them in the waiting room and they'll be in that purgatory for. You should put them in the sandbox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not the waiting room. You got you to gotta, gotta bounce and complete. Yeah, I was told this might happen. And so that wasn't too bad. Um, if they come back, I will send them to a different place in purgatory. <laughs> That's right, do that. Um, Charles, did you uh, want to share a poem? Are you there, Charles? Kathy? No, they're not there right now. Okay, um, let me see. I'm looking for another licensed school. I have Bonnie and then Gary. Bonnie, would you unmute, please? Here we go. I, I unmuted. Okay. Um, just a sec. Let's see. Ah. I'll banshee. Let me know if you can't hear me. I'm having a problem with my internet connection. Okay. Civility must rule. <clears throat> In the closet lives a banshee who cries silently on a sunny day. In the night she howls. But it is easy to laugh at the idea of torture on a sunny day. But on the midnight I read this and the banshee began to howl. Tomorrow, I will speak in silence. Banshee burns bridges. Yes, the canyon is too far to drive around, the mountain too high to climb over. There is too much burning of fossil fuel to ever arrive. These fuel thoughts of the past fuel what needn't be dug up, memories, heartbreak, and general pissed offedness. Oh, Banshee, now raked over the coals. It is now 10 to 1. 
and the heart is pedestrian, so get a grip. Destroy the art, burn the books, burn the forest, burn the home, burn the brush, burn the memories and the dead. Banshee, cauterize thyself. Okay, Bonnie, and how do you really? <laughs> I'm sorry, could you hear it? Yes, we did. Okay. Thank Great. you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, let's see. I would like Gary Thomas to read next. And Gary and I were going to do something, weren't we? We were. So we do that first because it's really quick. Okay. Gary and I started writing... Um, conversational haiku and tanka um, many moons ago. And so we would self-publish our collections and each one has a thousands of haiku in it. Uh, just for our own, our own selves. And so Gary's picked out some that we'd share and, and listen for the conversation. Uh, a lot of times we wouldn't even email each other anything except the haiku or tanka. So, Gary, you, let's see, you're starting, aren't you? No, actually, I think you are. Uh, Here we are. On page 32, middle of the page, the one from um, April 22nd, 2002. Okay. As, as her winter coat. Okay, and then we'll go to the, okay. Yeah. As her winter coat falls, my horse stands sniffing, a memory of another pasture, her mare, my mother nudging her to run. Sometimes a good nudge is what's needed to gallop toward the best pastures, the sweetest air, a new spring full of fine chances. Tethered by my own deceptions, freedom exists a heartbeat away, as far as the half full moon, close as a step to the door. Let us step outside and speak of moons filling up with heartbeats and breaths untethered, taking the chance, losing these old lunar blues. What is left after we speak about each intent? Blues to celebrate, hymns to remember the fine psychology of sunlight. Soul lies on the couch, says Doc. It hurts when I wake to waves of my own heat and light. These are my blues, clear intent and skillful means. Three-quarter moon, all restless in the windless eve, rest by any means, deliberately stalls, waits, hurts by increments. Ordinarily restless, I seek the calm coves, where doves nest fearless on the black pearl dream beaches, waiting, feeling the new life. So those are from April. Um, 20 years ago. So Gary, please share one of your poems from your new book, okay. All the Connecting Lights. Thank you. Um, this poem got started some years ago when I was reading a biography of Pablo Neruda and discovered that he and my mother were born in the same year. So this is called Neruda and My Mother. Neruda and my mother would be 116 today, sharing, I think, a bowl of fresh peaches sprinkled with sugar, strewn with cinnamon, a little milk on top for more comfort. He mm. would understand her smooth skin, her full smile ready to sing an old hymn, 
She would never fathom his poems or whiskey voice, but would love his Chilean sun and beaches. They could talk of children and the sea, look at old photographs of inner tubes and cousins floating belly up in afternoon rivers, learn magic words like Wichita and Santiago, write them down with the other bits of each other's addresses and promise to write. And they would, I know, if only Neruda and my mother had met on a cruise in 1924, traveling to Rangoon, Singapore, Batavia, sleeping on deck to duck the heat, feeling the breeze and its gift of salt. Every time the summer sweat coursed down their lips in all the years after, they would remember the salt while they thought of the sweet peaches and vowels reuniting someday. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. And Gary's um, one of the few poets I know, we've been to many workshops together, and we're given a, a prompt, and we all write, and then Gary reads a poem that sounds perfectly finished and perfect. I don't know many people who can do that. And that's remarkable there. I was looking for Charles, but I don't see him there. Diane, are you with us? When I don't see people's faces, I'm not sure if they had to, you know, go somewhere or do something. Diane, are you here? No. Charles, are you here? And Kathy. Charles said to leave. And I don't have anything, so thank you. Okay. So if he comes back, let us know. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me come to Peter Koppelman. Would you unmute and share your work with us? Sure. I'm kind of an interloper. I saw this on uh, Facebook. Um, I'm a retired public interest lawyer, and until four months ago, I lived in uh, Walnut Creek, and I moved to uh, Annandale, Virginia, to take, help take care of my grandson, my first grandson, who's eight months old. And I have a book of poetry coming out in this spring. Um, and this is a poem from that book. It's called Worried, after Mary Oliver. I'm a warrior, like Mary Oliver. Even worse, I'm a catastrophizer. It's like worrying on speed, magnified, blown up to the nth degree. I use worrying to fill in the gaps between what I know and what I don't know. The imagination runs rife with speculation. Like when I send out a poem and I get no response. Why not? Many possibilities are benign. He's too busy or didn't even read it, or he's got his own life to worry about. But those explanations just slide into oblivion. For me, the monsters prevail. He doesn't like it. He's sick of hearing from me. He thinks my poetry is a joke. I'm a pompous ass. He's somehow offended. He doesn't like me. And on and on, it bounces around in my head, raises my blood pressure, ruins my day. Mary Oliver said, finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. And gave it up? Not so fast, Mary. You know damn well it's not that easy. So take your old body out into the morning and sing a happy song. 
then what? What happens when you come back inside and look at the balance in your checkbook or can't dig any words out of your brain or see that bump on your cheek that just won't go away? Come on now, you have a reputation for telling the truth. You don't want to blow it. That's quite fun. And uh, Peter and I had a correspondence. And um, the only reason, Peter, I asked you who you were was because um, I thought some high school students were coming in. And so I wanted to be able to meet them and talk with them ahead of time. So that's what happened there. Um, Lila, would you please unmute and read for us? And while she's doing that, Lila and I have known each other through education for a long time. I can't get, excuse me, but I can't get the picture back. Oh, now we can see you and we can hear you. Oh, okay, good. Then I'll just read. Um, I am Lila Osmondson. I published my first, self-published my first book in 2018. I'm a member of a writing group, which helped me publish that first book. Um, I want to read, uh, oh, I've been writing since I was six years old, uh, okay. long, long time. Okay. This is a haiku and oh, also what I wrote down and I forgot to say it. Thank you again, Linda, for putting this all together in celebration of National Poetry Month, which I always celebrate because I love poetry. This haiku came out of the tornado threat of um, 421 in our area from 4 to 7 p.m. Then came the welcome hard rain to our region. Nature's anger raw. Fierce winds sky whirled fear through humans. Rain pelts carved new paths. Thank you. Do you have I another one that was kind of short? <laughs> I know. I have, I have a lot of poems, but I didn't want to take up too much of your time. Okay, my dear. Well, we need to connect. We haven't seen each other in a while, so we need to connect and oh, uh, would love get it. You into the folds of some of our poetry groups around here, too. Oh, yeah. I am in a poetry group, more than one. Okay. In Amador County. Great. Amador has quite a few poets and oh, yeah yeah thank you thank you okay let's see um clive could you share with us please oh clive you need to unmute because we can't hear you thank you especially for organizing this we're so hungry for contact aren't we this is only Zoom, but it's better than a blank screen. So I've been around forever. You can find me at matsonpoet.com. And behind me is our beginning uh, magazine and website, Wordswell. If you go to wordswell.xyz, you can see a rough draft of our site. Give us a month to feel uh, coherent, though it's going to take us that long. So I'm going to read a poem in one of the threads that has been available this afternoon on Alzheimer's. 
my 50-year poetry buddy died in February last year, and although it was his heart that took him, he had Alzheimer's, and he wrote a, a poem about Alzheimer's, and that's what I'd like to read in his honor. This is by John Page. Alzheimer's Optical. Alzheimer's Optical, a report back. Wake up in the morning, raise my head up high, take a look around. The door to the bathroom is lying on the floor, not hanging on three hinges like it was before. The furniture is clumped in piles all around my bed. Two upended tables, four kitchen chairs, they're lying sideways and their legs are interlocking. And from all the way across the room, my old oak desk still standing tall, my walker collapsed, lying flat across the top. Top center drawer drawn out to within inches of my sleeping head. Somebody was in here messing with me while I was asleep. Now I'm going to have to climb my way across it all to get to where I have to go. Gotta go. One, two, three, hop. Soon as my feet touch down, the room swings around. The door flies back to its hinges and every piece of furniture resumes its place without a trace that it was ever moved. All this happens without sound, out of sight, far faster than I can fall. Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, how will you cross my path tomorrow? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I am afraid. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, everybody. Isn't that an amazing piece? That's love. That's It's amazing. And, and he's speaking right from his own, where he's in it. He's in it. And he's able to describe yeah. it. And yeah, yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing, Clive. And um, and it's very nice to meet you. And we will all be able to take a look at Wordspell and um, be curious to link up with what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Lisa, are we you have here? a tagline. We have a tagline on our Wordspell, which is what John was doing, which was full engagement of body, heart, and mind. Mm. Okay, I'm done with all the marketing. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. If, if uh, we don't do it, no one else will. Um, Lisa, <laughs> are you there? Lisa? I've seen her there, but um, I don't see her face, so I'm not sure where she is. Okay. And Diane, are you there? I know she said she would have trouble with her Wi-Fi. Okay. Did I miss anybody? Did I miss anybody? I don't think so. Um, Monica and I want to thank you for joining us on this first annual 
poetry event. My, my vision of this is that sometime in the future, it will be an annual event sometime where we meet in person and we have workshops and visiting poets and we celebrate um, and, and all of you will have a chance to share your poems again. So thank you so much for becoming the first in hopefully many sessions, Monica. Thank you, everybody. It's been wonderful and just great words. You don't even have to have a meal. I mean, I think I've, I'm fed. <laughs> I'm fed the good words. I just, I'm, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, it's so sad we have to end. Well, we're a little um, late. But we're here till four if... I, um, I promised you a, a, a very strange, um, painful poem for the elders. I thought maybe I'd just read that real quickly to give you a chuckle. It's called Owl. And I'm going to, this is the first time I'm reading it, so I'm going to try some sound effects here. Owl. So now I'm going to paint you with an owl, owl, owl poem. Listing all the hurting places. Shoulder, getting older. Back, set to crack. Bladder, sitting sadder. Knees, sing like bees. Neck, hurts like heck. Sinus, running nose, a minus. Wrist, add a little twist. Feet, need healing heat. Toes and their aching throes, fingers bent, pain lingers, sciatica needs sympatica. Migraine, oh, intense pain, earache makes my head shake, lungs wheeze and tongues, teeth rot quickly beneath, gums, here they comes, genitals, such imbeciles, gut-wrenching taut. Have I missed anyone? The throat? Going crackly rogue? Time to shut down, is it? All quiet on the southern front, traveling backward into forward? Sans teeth, sans lips, sans breath, then sans pain. Oh, oh, wow. That's my apple. Thank you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh dear, the only one who not get it is Ian. And thank you, Ian, for sticking with us all afternoon. It, it's been it's been really great to to come and hear from everyone. That was a really good poem just now, uh, Monica. But um, but thank you to everyone. It was it really was great to be here, and I hope that uh, you keep in touch with me, uh, Linda, and that I can hear when you guys have this in person next time. Maybe I can pay a visit. That would be wonderful. And we wish you well in your First year of college. Thank you. So um, a lot of times we run um, overtime, and now we're ahead of time. And so there is a chance if someone would like to read a short poem before we close. Is that a shorty, Susan? Sure. I didn't read one of mine. I thought it might be. I don't know how short short is. 
Um, this is one that I wrote uh, years, year, my husband passed away two, two and a half years ago, but this is one that I wrote a very, no, no, a very long time before he passed away, just kind of knowing that women live longer than men. It's called Eternity. And this is how I prepared. Sometimes when the moon is full and the candles that illuminate my mind burn brightly so that I cannot find that sweet, dark passage to sleep, I roll over and spoon up close to him and drape my arm across his body where even in his sleep, he clasps it close to his chest. And I trick time at his own game. The one where it says it is a line with a past and a present and a future. And I know that time is a sphere, a fabric that encompasses the two of us here. I know there have been times when I have been without him and there will be times again when he will leave me utterly alone in this world. I will cry out in my anguish, bring him back to me. How could you take him from me? And there under the full moon, I imagine that he has come back to me in my longing and in my loss. And I feel my arm held tightly under his and I feel his bare gutsika against my bare lap and my belly in the small of his back and my breasts against his smooth skin. And I smile in my gratitude and good fortune that having lost him to time, I find him again in my arms. Thank you, Susan. Thank you very much. You know what? I, we've had some powerful um, poems today, haven't we? Some very powerful poems. And I appreciate that. So... I think what I'm going to do uh, is close with the music that I tried to play but didn't happen because it's such a wonderful song about to all of you. Uh, it's all the poets I have known, and I put it in the chat by Andrew Peterson. And I, I found it, and I just thought, I just it's become an earworm now, and I play it uh, frequently because of the words. It just reminds me of... Uh, lyrics being poetry, and that could be a whole other topic. Uh, so if you want to stay and listen, great. If not, thank you so much for being with us today. To all the poets I have known Who saw the beauty in the commonplace Saw incarnation in a baby's face And in a drop of rain the stars When there was mud and blood and tears you sing a song at night to calm our fears. You made a moment last a thousand years. You are the poets I have known. To all the poets I have known. 
You built a kingdom out of sea and sand. You conquered all. I think you muted yourself, Linda. Bent your soul to see the children fed. You wove your heart in every story you read. Thank God for poets I know. And you keep on dreaming when the dreams all fade. When friends desert. You're the ones who stay to write the prayers when every prayer been prayed. You are the poets I have known. You turned your tears into a string of pearls. You held your sorrow high to light the world. When I thought I was alone In every man you saw The boy The hidden heart the dark could not destroy Slipped past the dragons with a tale of joy Thank God for poets I have known Cause you keep on dreaming when dreams all fade, when friends desert, you're the ones who stay to write the prayers with every prayer and pray. You walking wounded of my life, who pled compassion in the heat of strife. You stood between my heart and Satan's knife With just the armor of a soul You are the heroes and Who with a slender pen our passions save And chisel epitaphs upon all the poets I so keep on
Okay, let's unmute ourselves and give everybody a hand. All right. Thank <clears throat> you, Linda. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda. Let's do it again next year. <laughs> let's do it again every day. And, and Ian gets our battle of Ian gets our badge of uh, bravery. <laughs> Thank you all so much. It was great to hear from you all. Oh. And I took care of the bombers. While we Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Monica. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye -bye. everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.